Learning for Life at Gustavus is produced by J.J. Aiken and Matthew Dobosensky of the Gustavus Office of Marketing. Will Clark, Senior Communications Studies major and videographer at Gustavus, who also provides technical expertise to the podcast, and me, your host, Greg Castor. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Gustavus Adolphus College. The words college food do not typically whet one's appetite, conjuring as they do bland and boring mass-produced institutional meals. Happily for all of us associated with Gustavus, its food consistently ranks as among the best in the nation on college campuses for its variety and quality, among other measures. And my guest today, Steve Chelgren, is a major reason why. After graduating Gustavus in 1986 with a degree in psychology, and I'm happy to say a minor in history, Steve eventually worked for a time in the hospitality industry before returning to his alma mater in 1994 as Director of Dining Services. He is now Vice President of Auxiliary Services with management responsibilities that have expanded to include campus summer programs at conferences and camps, the bookstore, the post office, and print services. Under his leadership, Gustavus prepares and serves some of the tastiest and healthiest food in town, while also maintaining a focus on environmental sustainability. Moreover, he and his dining services team are crucial to the successful functioning of Gustavus, try imagining a college unable to feed its students, and to its strong sense of community as well, which the act of eating together does so much to promote. For all these reasons, I thought it would be interesting and fun to talk with Steve about his work and the ingredients, both literal and metaphorical, of Gustavus's exceptional dining services. So welcome, Steve. It's great to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you very much. I'm uh, happy to have the invitation to join you. That's great. Um, I, I wish we could meet, you know, and eat at the same time. But you're 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 in St. Peter, and I'm up here in Minneapolis, so we can we can pretend we're we're chatting over. Uh, my, some of my favorites are the campus pizza and the the gyros. I'm Greek American on my dad's side, so gyros Friday. I'm there. Um, let's start with you and your background. How did you you grew up? I think in International Falls, Minnesota. How did you get from there to Gustavus, and then uh, from Gustavus to the psych major? Yeah, well, uh, great question. Uh, actually, I was, I was born in Ortonville, Minnesota, so that's uh, West Central Minnesota. And uh, I think uh, prior to being a year old, uh, my my parents uh, moved back to their hometown of International Falls to be uh, school teachers. And oh. um, so I was raised uh, in International Falls, and um, you know that it's a, it's a hockey community, um, and I probably am the the worst hockey player ever to uh, come out of International Falls, but I sure loved the game. Uh, just was never as good as I wanted to be. And so, um, while I have lots of uh, folks ask me, "Did you play hockey at Gustavus?" and I say, "No, I I played at Gustavus. I didn't play hockey." <laughs> um, but um, so you know, hospitality has been. Um, it was my first job. I was a, a bellman at the Holiday Inn in International Falls. And um, as you can imagine, uh, entertaining fishermen from all over the country and, in fact, the world um, leads one to see a lot of things that maybe 16 and 17-year-old people shouldn't see all the time. But it <laughs> certainly was an education in how to take care of guests and and. Um, and help meet needs. And so that was my, you know, the, I, I, I wanted to be a helper. Uh, mm. that, that said, I looked for uh, a, a private college. I, I toured all of the Minnesota privates and down into Iowa and um, wanted that experience that wasn't a great big university. And um, 
I think Gustavus was probably my last stop on a whirlwind trip. Um, and it just felt right. And we hear that time and time again from our, our students, our alums, uh, and, and our employees, our faculty. You know, there's just, if you connect with this feeling that's here, you just connect. And I, I can't, I don't know what the secret sauce is. I don't think anybody's been able to, to um, put an ingredient label on it. But it, it's here, and if you connect with it, um, it sticks for forever. Um, and so, that said, I, as as a young person, I had a strong influence of a, a young medical doctor that lived in the neighborhood, uh, and spent a lot of time with him and his family. And thought, you know, a medical career probably is a, a start. Why don't we take a look at pre med at Gustavus? Um, and that lasted in, uh, with uh, my my good friend, uh, dear friend, uh, Jeff Rosoff was his first year at Gustavus oh, as well. Professor in math, yeah. yeah. And so I took a calculus class with him uh, eight o'clock in the morning um, and quickly found out that I wasn't going to be able to get through the uh, the mathematics portion of a pre-med major. And so it was disappointing, but, you know, my gosh, what do you know when you're 18 years old, you know? Right. And so like, you know, maybe 70 or 80% of the other pre-med majors that come to Gustavus, you, you start investigating. And, and so I took some history courses um, with uh, Byron and with, um, Oh, with Rodney, with Rodney, with Rodney yes, and Byron, Byron Nordstrom, and Rodney right, Davis, right, and 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 just said, oh my gosh, uh, history! I, I just I can't learn enough. This is amazing. And then I thought, but practically, Steve, what are you going to do with that? Um, and and then I took a psychology class with uh, Tim Robinson, introductory to psych, and. I said, uh, I think I found it. I've arrived. I just can't get enough of this either. So uh, with the help of uh, Mark Kruger and Barbara Simpson um, and and others in the psychology department, um, really, you know, kind of wound my way to, uh, well, I, I did an internship at the state hospital uh, one January, and and it was great internship. And I decided I definitely did not want to work with that population. Um, so within psychology, I said, so what else is there? Well, this hospitality background, the leading of employee work groups led me to kind of emphasize and to narrow in on industrial and organizational psychology. Um, after Gustavus spent a, a year at the University of Minnesota doing some graduate studies, then uh, time at the University of Wisconsin in Oshkosh doing graduate studies. And then I decided I needed to get out and, and make some money. And so my first job as, as a manager was at a small hotel in Nina, Nina Wisconsin. And from there, uh, about a year later, wound my way back to Mankato and worked for Aramark, which is a contract feeder for the university uh, contract dining uh, uh, company. Which was then uh, Mankato State University, now Minnesota, Minnesota State University, about 12 miles uh, south of St. Peter. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so that was uh, you know, an introduction um, by fire, really. Uh, contract companies run pretty lean. And so uh, what I didn't know, I quickly learned um, both about managing people and about the industry, uh, how to order food. Um, 
and, and how to prepare it safely and dealing with health inspectors and dealing with students who wish that they had something else to eat. And, um, you know, and, and the challenge, certainly a challenge. So I had several positions there at Mankato State University um, um, and then an opportunity to come back to Gustavus in 1994 uh, arose and I jumped on it. And thankfully, Gustavus gave me a chance. Um, and, you know, it's been just an amazing, amazing experience for me. I hope the university or the, the college has uh, found some benefit to our, our relationship. But it, it's the Gustavus really is is the best thing that ever happened to me. My wife is Augusti. We graduated together. Two oh, of my, her major? Uh, she's a nursing major. Oh, we have um, a great so, nursing program, yeah. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And so we actually um, – so I, I, it's the non-traditional um, – She's a nursing major. At the time, the first two years for nursing majors was on campus. The second two years was up at Bethesda Hospital in St. Paul. And after our junior year of her being up in St. Paul and and me being down here, um, we decided to get married. And so I lived actually in the nursing uh, nurse's dorm uh, in an apartment with her um, uh, our senior year and uh, did coursework remotely and took some university classes and then transferred credits back. So kind of a non-traditional path, but um, I, it was the full experience. I was a CF one year, the collegiate fellow or a resident assistant, uh, lived with, with three other guys in a small room, lived with a, a, one other person as a first year. So, I, I mean, I, I really had a full Gustavus experience, and I really couldn't um, wait to get back here to sort of pay back, um, you know, what I felt was such a blessing in, in the Gustavus education and, and community. Well, you've paid it back uh, in, in, in large quantities, I can tell you that. What about, you know, I have to ask, did you work in, I don't know what it was called, then dining services as a student? Did you have any experience doing that? Yeah, so I, I did not. Um, I worked as an intramural manager. I worked for Don Roberts, Coach John Roberts and Jeannie Herman. Um, and so, yeah, how, how did I end up back here? Well, I, again, it was the, the career path I kind of found myself in. Um, I had learned a lot at Mankato State in the seven years I was there. And, you know, quite honestly, in 1994, the dining program at Gustavus was not highly ranked. Um, this is where I wanted to go yeah, next, right? Right? please. Yeah, right? Um, and so uh, I remember, you know, the college dining and wonderful people work there. But, I mean, the, the facility really needed an upgrade and the program needed to be turned on its head. Um, and, it, in fact, the 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 admission tour guides would walk down the hallway past the college dining room and and quickly kind of usher their their tour group and say that's the college dining room please keep moving <laughs> uh, and so um, th that didn't feel very good and I thought boy it, you know wh what are we going to do with this um, and so probably you know shortly after my arrival in '94 um, my uh, my uh, boss Ken Westfall the Vice President for Finance said, "You know, why, why don't you put a plan together? We don't have any money to to change our building or anything, but why, why don't you do some investigating? What would it look like if you could just start over? And so, uh, I, where would I get the information to start over? Um, I looked to our students and said, "All right, students, what what do you love about what we do here? What do you wish we could do differently? And if we could start over and have anything." Um, what would that look like? 
Um, and so spent about a year and a half or two and came up with three common themes. Um, one was there, it was, it was a traditional meal plan. So everybody paid the same price. You had access to 20 meals per week, whether you ate them or not, you paid the same amount. What you ate when you came to eat, you paid the same amount. So if I had a piece of toast and a glass of water, I paid the exact same thing as someone who had a full breakfast. Uh, and, and so there was this equity that didn't feel right for students. So a large eater said, it's great for us because somebody that doesn't eat very much is actually subsidizing our meals. Um, but the, the smaller eater said, uh, it just doesn't feel fair. The other thing in an all you can eat, um, situation is a tremendous amount of waste, especially, yeah, especially in a, in a condensed crowded area where people are all you know, jostling to, for their position in line. And, and it's, you don't want to go back into that crowded space. So you take, you know, two or three entrees and a salad and a dessert and four glasses of milk and a stack of cookies and a banana. And, and then you get out and you go, oh shoot, I have to be class in 15 minutes. And so where does that food go? That went right in the garbage. And so we had a waste problem. We had an equity problem. And then in the, in the traditional system, you have meal periods of breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner um, from breakfast from seven to nine or 10 and lunch from 11 to two and dinner from four to seven. That didn't work for our students. They said, we're, we're in class, we're in labs, we're on the athletic playing field. Um, we need to be open early in the morning and stay open well into the evening so that we can come and go when it meets our schedule, not your designated meal period. So we had equity, we had waste, and we had this sense of um, access. You know, how, how can this work for a busy college student? Um, so those three things together, um, we came up with an idea that nobody else would, and, you know, in 1995, the internet was just, you know, being born, right? So you couldn't Google um, hmm, college, right. college dining services and, and come up with, oh, here's the model we want to follow. We came up with a, an idea that, you know, what if we had a la carte? Everybody still participates in the meal plan, but what they eat, it, it, you know, what they consume, they pay for. There's a direct connection between their pocket and and their their cafeteria tray or better yet there's a direct connection between their pocket their money and the garbage bin so if i took if i took four bananas i'm not going to throw three in the garbage because i paid for them i made this connection so if we go a la carte we've we've got um the, the possibility of reducing waste it seems like it's more equitable because I can come when it works for me. Uh, I can eat as much or as little as I want, but I know that if I eat more, I'm going to have to pay more on the back end. Um, and then those lighter eaters, they could bring their, they could bring guests, they could bring family members, friends from off campus. Um, they could use the meal plan that in a way that made sense for them. And then if we had all a cart, we could kind of open things up and shut things down in, in terms of areas of a, a marketplace type cafeteria that uh, we could be open from early in the morning to late at night, depending on how busy it was, we would, we would open stations up and we would shut stations down. So great. We had a plan. I sold it to the board of trustees. Um, always important. Always important. Um, and we still had no money, you know, to, to build a, a building, right? Yeah. Uh, but we, you know, we, we had a plan and, and that was great because we, we put the plan on the shelf 
and um, and then in this in um, March of 1998, uh, a, you know, a major tornado came through um, Nicola County um, and did a real number on on the campus of Gustavus Adolphus College, and it forced our hand. We needed to uh, to rebuild, and we, then we we had a you know, we had an opportunity to fundraise and and to put a plan together. So we pulled that plan off the off the shelf, uh, blew the dust off of it, and and went to work. And it was just amazing. So, not, not that um, having that tornado experience was a blessing in any way, but it did expedite our 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 plan and our hopes to put together a new dining program for Gustavus. And what I can tell you, in in 2000, then when we opened our doors. The dining service, the dining room, the marketplace, cafeteria became the first stop of the admission tour. Yes. And <laughs> and and not the, you know, the the let's let's keep moving, please. So it's for people who haven't seen it, it's absolutely beautiful. It's full of light, a lot of banks of windows. Um, there are different stations for different kinds of food. Uh, I mean, and what I find so interesting um, is that the three areas you identified and, and worked to uh, really transform didn't have anything directly to do with what was being served, right? It wasn't like, oh, we need to come in and change the menu. It was really, it was more profound than that. And those changes have really, um, really made our, our dining services distinctive nationally, in addition to the quality and variety of the food. Were there, were there any complaints from students about, about the, the food itself beyond the three issues you've, you've mentioned? Uh, oh, in, in formerly or in the new? Formerly. Yes. Well, of course, um, when you have an all you can eat system and you, you have this known revenue stream of every student who lives on campus um, pays into the program, you, you know what your, your top line revenue is and you have to make some assumptions that, um, you know, what if everybody maximizes what they eat? So this could be our potential food cost. And we know what the labor is going to be. We know what the overhead expenses are. Um, and so what you'd have to kind of, what you can manipulate is, is you know, whether it's um, a, a prime cut, a choice cut, or a select cut. And so you, you have to be, you know, conservative. And so not saying that anything was unhealthy, but it, it wasn't the best. And it so it wasn't the best, you know, and, and that's just the way that that program operates. When you move to a la carte, um, you know, if the students want, uh, you know, top sirloin steak, then you, you give them top sirloin steak, but they pay for it at the register. So, right. so it's, you know, you, that's how you manage the, the food costs there. <laughs> this is, I, I hate to tell you this, but, um, you know, we had to make some assumptions about what, what the finances would look like, uh, in this new program. And I made some really, um, air on the side of the student experience, um, decisions in, in the way we allowed students to access their funds and, uh, the price point at the register. I, I didn't want, you know, to have a, a, a bad experience this first year through. And it turns out <laughs> when you have, you know, 6,000 meals a day that you're serving, if you make a little error on the finances, it can turn into a big one at the end of the year. And so the first year I, I missed budget by about a million dollars. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. And so that, 
that conversation in the president's office wasn't very comfortable. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, again, my my amazing uh, vice president, Ken, and I just said, all right, how are we going to do to fix this? And uh, because if we don't, we'll, we'll both be looking for work someplace else next year. <laughs> um, and so we, we did some tweaking and and. And that that really is um, the key to, um, to the key to the the program successes. That it, it's never it's never stayed still. It's always changed, and and we change based on what we hear as feedback from students. And so, right, every you know every great thing that we do, I, I can't take credit for it. I. I I give the students credit. And so a student might walk in and say, and, and they did, uh, Gustavus Green's uh, environmental group walked into the office one day, you know, just a year or two after we opened this new program. And they said, have you ever heard anything about uh, organic fair trade coffee? And we, we really think we should have that here. And so I said, well, tell me more about it. I don't know that much about it. And they did. They educated me. And so I, I went to our coffee vendor long-term uh, relationship. And I said, what, what can you offer in terms of fair trade, organic, shade-grown uh, coffee? And they said, yeah, kind of a, tr- kind of a fad. You know, it's, it's not something we're really interested in getting into. And I said, oh, okay. Um, and so then a few months later, they were no longer a coffee vendor. Um, I, I found somebody who was interested in that. Um, this leads me to, sorry to interrupt, but this leads me to ask you about, because this is, this is, an, this is definitely a hallmark of Gustavus's dining services, the input from students that you, you don't just await. I mean, you actively seek it. And I wonder if you could say a little bit about the different ways in which um, that occurs. You started to talk about this, obviously, but how, I mean, how have students beyond the fair trade coffee, how have students um, influenced choices made by you and your team how how what are the avenues through which they can they can influence those choices right uh, so on probably most college campuses there's something called you know the the dining committee or the food committee or something and and I wasn't interested in having a group of students sit around a table and complain um, that that's not productive um, so how you're exactly right how do you give students a voice in a positive and, and proactive way um, and so just small wins at first and by saying that uh, this kitchen that we have this dining room that we have this is not my kitchen this is not the college's kitchen this is your kitchen and and we want you to know that anytime you want, you can walk back into that kitchen and ask a question, take a look at an ingredient label. Um, it, 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 this is your place. So feel free to do that, first of all. It's not off limits. It's not this don't go behind the closed doors. Um, so informally, that kind of started percolating. And then I had lots of student groups uh, and, and individuals come in and ask about, okay, not only fair trade coffee, but uh, what about fair trade bananas? What about hormone-free milk? What about uh, local? Uh, and and so those things um, are hot buttons and they, they have peaks and valleys over the years and they change and we have to change with them. But um, uh, about this time, um, I became uh, acquainted with, and now I'm very good friends with, uh, our own, our very own food philosopher, Lisa Heldke. Uh, right, with, uh, with whom I recorded an episode a few weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, and so t- together, uh, she and I, you know, asked this question, you know, how are we making choices for our students? Uh, and 
you know, are, are we being the moral compass here? Are we saying, well, because we've decided fair trade is important to us, even though it costs more, is that really um, our place to force our will on, on your choice making? So how can we get those voices heard? And so she came up with uh, this group we call the Kitchen Cabinet. Um, and it's a group of uh, faculty and administrators and students who come together once a month for breakfast, uh, Monday morning at 7 a.m. So it kind of self-selects some people out. Um, but uh, we, we don't sit around and complain about things. We, we ask the question, you know, where, where did the noodles in the chicken noodle soup come from? And uh, but what about those eggs? Are, are they are they are they free range eggs? Are they organic eggs? You know, and so just that's the conversation that takes place in the kitchen cabinet. And it turns out that that is a wonderful way to practice decision making. Um, you know, to be participative and and open, um, and it can expand way beyond food. We could it's it's a great model for for. Anything that we do on campus that we need to have input um, collectively. And uh, my goodness, uh, we've just had such a great experience with that. I think we're on 15 years or so of the kitchen cabinet. And at, at one point, I think it was the most sought after um, committee on, on campus uh, <laughs> faculty because, well, not only did you get a good breakfast, but you it felt like we were doing something, you know, and so it wasn't just talking about it. We were actually doing something and some real stuff. And you, you talked earlier about, uh, you know, in addition to the food, what what are we doing? What are we providing in terms of supplementing or complementing the education of the liberal arts? And, and so, well, I mean, take a look at that things like Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola, um, who fight for contracts at college campuses and they pit, spend big, big money to, to get those contracts to be an exclusive vendor. Well, why do they do that? Because we have students on campus for four years that are going to only have Coke products or only have Pepsi products and we're going to develop habits, right? And they'll become lifelong Coke or Pepsi drinkers because of the exposure. And I thought, okay, so what else are we doing to our students? How many times a day do we have an opportunity for them to say, hmm, fair trade bananas, tell me more about that and why would I pay more? So that when they leave Gustavus and our liberal arts and they walk into a grocery store and they're spending their own money, they're making a choice. Do I buy the 19 cent a pound bananas or do I buy the dollar 19 cent a pound bananas because I know that I'm supporting something beyond the banana? or beyond the peel, like our, our uh, fair trade banana folks uh, like to, to use as an advertisement. Um, so yes, there's all kinds of reasons why we can educate outside the classroom. And it's, it, that's what's so fun uh, about what I do. And uh, the fact that we can, we can lift up the, the local farmers, we can lift up our own Big Hill farm on campus. Right, I wanted to ask you about that in a second. I, I just think, again, the um, the way, in, you know, this, I, I suppose all, you know, campus dining services, you know, could could say this, but we really do it, and you you do deserve a lion's share of the credit for this, is the, the way in which the dining services, you're not just, you're not just, it's not just about feeding students, right? It really is a part of 
their education at Gustavus. And it's a part of their education that will stay with them, we hope, uh, as they continue on uh, uh, and, and leave the hill. But you mentioned the Big Hill Farm, and that, that I did want to get into. We talked with Lisa Helke about that a little bit. But tell us about the relationship of that farm, what it is, and its relationship to um, dining services. Right. Well, you know, for full disclosure, it's not a farm. It's it's a, it's a couple acres, uh, you know, that that uh, we we plant a, a, a bunch of vegetables on and and do. It's more of an well, it's it's both educational and productive. But um, it, it started as a thought. Uh, again, it was one of those things where students walked into the office and they said, "We think we should have a farm on campus." And so I said, "Great." Uh, let me know when you get that up and running, and I'll buy all the produce from you. And that wasn't that wasn't the answer that they were looking for. They they just wanted to give me the idea and then let me do it. Um, and so a couple of years later, a different group of students came in and said, "We we think there should be a farm on campus." And this happened, you know, probably over a, an eight to ten year period. And finally, there was a group of students who said, "Super." Um, what are our choices for where we might place this and we'll get the volunteers together and um, let's let's go. And so it started off very modestly and then became um, uh, sort of under the direction of our Johnson Center for Environmental Innovation. Uh, former director Jim Donchi was their supervisor, a group of students who, you know, started planting uh, in the fall and winter, started planting seedlings in the greenhouse and then uh, spent their summers tending the garden. And you know, some, it, it wasn't always successful, crops fail. Um, or it, it turns out, if you don't know much about zucchini, you might think that a five pound zucchini is, is great because that's a great big zucchini and why wouldn't I want that? And so if I say, you know, we're gonna have to send that right back to the compost pile. That doesn't feel very good, but it's a learning lesson that, you know, zucchinis need to be a pound or so, or maybe less. Um, or if all of the gardeners who are volunteering this summer decide to go on the same two-week vacation, weeds are going to grow, uh, pests are going to get in there, uh, things will get away from you. And so th there's all kinds of learning that can happen. Uh, I like the productive kind, the, the learning by by bounty rather than the learning by failure, but both kinds are, are important, important learning lessons. Both are important. Uh, and so we, we, because of our, our current, you know, pandemic experience, we haven't had any gardeners on campus. We haven't uh, had that, um, that, that luxury of having a campus garden this, um, this summer. Um, however, uh, we've got a couple of new co-directors of the Johnson Center. I think they'll be interim until we can find a permanent replacement who are, are thinking about it differently, more sustainably. How, how can we make this a productive um, educational experience and have maybe a few failures in there too, but mostly productive. And so um, looking forward, we're, we're starting to have those conversations right now about how, how are we going to move this forward next year, hoping that we can be back to some former sense uh, of, of business as usual uh, by next spring. It will happen, I'm convinced. And I think it's so, I just love that 
the, the fact that the, the farm, the garden is there. And by the way, I didn't realize, I didn't know how, how often students had come to you over the years. That's, that was new. That's news to me. Um, as an avid gardener up here, a vegetable garden uh, with my wife, Kate Wittenstein, formerly of the history department, we are part of a community garden and then, uh, we donate some of the produce to, to the food shelf. It's just, I mean, yeah, the learning that goes on in that garden is extraordinary. I mean, every, and I had to learn the hard way about the zucchini, by the way. I did, <laughs> I did learn that lesson <laughs> very early on. Oh. But um, it's just, it's just terrific. I think that we have that, uh, that, that going, call it a program, but that, that, that endeavor. Um, What's a typical day like for you if there is such a thing? I mean, I, I, can, I can only imagine how busy you – you mentioned a few – how many meals a day on average are you making? Yeah, about 6,000 uh, during, yeah, during the academic year. Go ahead. No, I, I, so I, I come to work um, you know, quite early, I, I, and my day starts out um, a little, 5 o'clock or, or a little before. I take the dog for a walk and, and get into the office uh, 6.30, quarter to 7.00. Uh, in time, and we open at 7 a.m. in the dining service, uh, the bookstore, and the post office a little bit later. But I, I make rounds and, and check in with folks, uh, look for any fires that need to be put out um, before we get the doors open. And and then, you know, as I, going into, I guess, my 27th year now, um, at, at time is a, a, a function or a factor in the types of things that you are involved in that fall outside of your paid for responsibilities. So I, I'm on lots of committees, um, part of the student conduct system, um, and, and so I have, I have a lot of things on my calendar that don't necessarily fall under the auxiliary services um, uh, title, but uh, are important uh, engagements with the community uh, just as well. But um, I, 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 my, my office door stays open. Um, at least it did uh, <laughs> until we had to change things a little bit. But um, And so honestly, what I do a lot. And so, oh, this is a great story. It was, it was I don't know, it's probably been 15 years or, or so ago. I was walking, I was following a couple of, of students through the marketplace as they were, you know, looking for lunch. And this one student said, God, there's nothing to eat. And okay, we, we have several hundred choices of things to eat, right? And so I tapped her on the shoulder and I said, did, did I just hear that correctly? there's nothing to eat. And she said, I mean, I don't know what I want, you know? <laughs> and so there, there's lots of opportunities for engagement um, to, to get to know students. I, I actually, um, one of my, my favorite things is, is when a student walks in and they, they have a concern or a question or, you know, a gripe uh, about something. It's, it's never very big, but um, to them it is, right? And so if they can come in with an attitude and, and some disgruntlement, and then by the time they leave uh, my office, you know, 15 minutes or a half an hour later, I know something about them. They know something about me and they want to know how they can get on the kitchen cabinet and be part of the solution rather than that, that faction who just finds things wrong and, and grumbles. Um, and so uh, that really is, is my greatest, my greatest joy. Um, we have a really diverse and unique uh, work group. We've got uh, in the dining service, 300, 350 uh, college student employees wow. and and 50, 
five or 60 uh, full-time staff. And um, as you can imagine, it, we work closely together and it's like a big family. And like most families, there's some dysfunction. And so uh, that's where the psychology helps, I think, uh, in, in how to navigate uh, differences and, um, and, and getting along, um, both with our, our student customers, um, our off-campus guests, but most importantly, I think, keeping our, our staff all going uh, in a productive direction and not being distracted by the little things that get in the way that really aren't as important as we might think they are in the moment. What about the um, what about things like ordering? When I think of not that you're the, your your chef, we should talk a little bit about the executive chef, who he is, and his he or she. I can't remember. Um, but what what does that person, that individual, do all the ordering, or are you in on that as well? So uh, so I am in on a bit. Uh, the the chef would would specify uh, what he or she wanted, and we had uh, Chef Paul Jacobson. Uh, Jake, Chef Jake, uh, for for years and years and years, he's been retired now for a couple of years, and we're currently searching uh, for just the right person to um, come back in and and pick up where he left off. Um, but we do have a, a purchasing manager, and that is a full time job, um, sh- shopping for prices. Um, you know, we we take deliveries. Uh, five days a week, six days a week. Um, the loading dock is a busy place. Uh, we do shop around for both, uh, you know, being price conscious, but also w- what do we know about what it is, whatever commodity is, uh, where did it come from? Um, who are we supporting or not supporting uh, by making that purchasing decision? Um, and then w- what we don't do is is uh, is tell this, that story uh, well enough. And that uh, is a challenge that uh, at some point before I leave here, I, I hope I can, um, I think I can, I hope I can get on top of so that we, we tell the story again, it's as part of the educational uh, process of the institution and, and say, okay, so this is something that you do every day. You're going to eat every day for the rest of your life. Um, and how are you being a conscientious consumer? What choices are you making? Who are you supporting or not supporting in the in the choices you make? Um, and then how are you going to share that news? You know, how, how are you going to, to to share that information with others and, and be an influencer? So that's yeah, that's where the dining services has such a, I think, an incredibly important role to play in educating our students and not just our students, all of us at Gustavus um, as part of the overall effort towards sustainability or the or the greening of the the campus. Um, and by the way, that reminds me, we should say something about the uh, innovative uh, gusty wear, as we call it. Gusty <laughs> yeah. wear. Tell us a little bit about that. Speaking of the same yeah. So uh, one of the unintended consequences of having an a la carte program, um, it, wasn't in, it wasn't intended, but it, it was maybe unrealized how big of a factor it would be, is that if you pay for four bananas, you can take four bananas out the door with you. Right, you don't have to consume them in the in the confines of the dining room. So, we ended up having just a ton of takeout containers, cardboard boxes, uh, floating around campus. You know, blowing in the wind quite literally. And um, you know, when I, when I did the math at the end of the first year or two or three, it was like you know a quarter of a million, three hundred thousand, three hundred fifty thousand boxes that we're consuming. And so. Um, you know, rightly so. Some students were concerned about it as well. And I said, well, gosh, what, what can we do about that? Um, 
I, I got the student senate involved. This was uh, many years ago. And they said, well, you know what? We would pay for a, a container for every student, every first year student when they when they come in that they could just reuse. And so I said, you know, I said, that, that's very generous of you. Uh, I think I'll call the health department and see if they've got <laughs> any any questions about that. And so I did. And that, that my first answer that, that I received was, well, that seems okay. Um, but then I think they must have gone back to their offices and started visiting. And that it turns out that, you know, customers cannot bring their own vessels into uh, a licensed establishment and have them filled. Um, they need to um, be owned by the, the institution or the establishment and cleaned by the establishment. So uh, we couldn't just give everybody their own copy and have them be responsible for it. We had to um, purchase um reusable takeout containers and a uh, great story. It ended up after some looking um, uh, being um, a product of the Nordic Ware company um, oh. Oh. who, who uh, also, I think, you know, grandpa from the Nordic Ware company was Augusti at one point. Um, and so where it was a, a connection, albeit, you know, shirt tail to the college. And so that started our Augusti Ware program. It's a, a microwavable reusable uh, container. Of a couple of different sizes that that students or, or others can use in lieu of a takeout box, a cardboard, you know, compostable takeout box. Um, and the caveat was that you, you need to bring that vessel back to us so we can clean it. And um, we fought that battle for years. That it turns out students are great about taking the environmentally uh, responsible um, choice option in a, in a reusable takeout container, but they're not very good about bringing it back. Yes. And so they were floating around all over campus. And so uh, in, in off campus apartments in, in, and uh, you know, faculty and staff are not immune. Um, I had one administrator say, Oh, Steve, Gustyware, I love the program. I must have about 15 of them in my office. <laughs> and I said, Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, no, the idea is you got to bring that back. I um, found it everywhere. I've seen it in the restroom. <laughs> I, mean, I, even, yeah. I even thought at one point of doing a, doing a photo essay for the weekly photo essay for the student newspaper, you know, where I, where I yeah. found Gustyware this week. Anyway, yeah, yeah uh, they, how did, have you solved that problem? Oh, we, we, we did. We actually uh, had a, another student, and it turns out it was my daughter was doing some, um, it was a, a class project. She did a cost analysis of paying someone to go around campus and collect gusty wear from designated gusty wear bins um, versus the replacement cost of ultimately those gusty wear pieces ending up in the trash. Um, and she convinced me that it would be cost effective to pay students and or part-time um, non-student workers to go around building the building and collect. Um, and so we, we do that. Um, and that it has made sense for us to do that. In this time of pandemic, I don't think it's safe for us to be sending people into um, residence halls unnecessarily, uh, spe especially you know, non-student employees uh, to collect. And so we're going to suspend the Gusty Wear program uh, just temporarily and go all uh, compostable uh, takeout containers, um, you know, in the in the short term here. So we've, we've had to make some tough environmental decisions that go 180 degrees in the opposite direction from where we want to go. And, and I think all colleges are finding they're in the same boat. Um, disposable um, boxes and, and um, cutlery and, and cups, and it, it's going to be in short supply as colleges ramp up um, because 
you know, who, who in the industry would know and, and lead time on some of this is 12 to 18 months if you're going to influence a manufacturer in production. Um, so uh, it's good. We'll, we'll see. It's one of the unknowns um, uh, as, as we're moving forward. And that, I'm sure you've, you've visited about that uh, with other people from campus, but um, it, it's going to be an ongoing story about uh, what kind of influence this pandemic has had on our ability to provide just basic needs and, and in terms of, of feeding students and community members. Well, one thing I'm confident of, uh, and I know everyone is, Steve, is your ability and the ability of your team to to nourish the students, uh, both in terms of the food, but also in terms of their their learning. You, you do just such a great job at that. And I confess, what time is it? It's about uh, 10 o'clock. I, my, my stomach is growling. I'm hungry. <laughs> and uh, I would, at this point, I would be heading to the to the marketplace for, you know, a little late nosh right. to, yeah. to bring back in my gusty wear. And the other thing I love are the waffles with the Gustavus, the Three Crowns logo. Um, those will still go on, I hope. Of, of course. Yeah, of yeah. course they will. So the, the, you, you do a fabulous job. And I know the dining service is just part of your now, you know, much, much larger portfolio. Um, it's great to chat. Good luck with everything uh, as we transition to um, uh, lots of unknowns, but we're bringing at least some of the students back in a couple of weeks. Uh, and I'll see you back on campus at some point. I, I would look forward to being uh, to welcoming you and, and others back on campus, Greg. It's been great visiting with you and uh, happy to tell the story. Thanks so much, Steve. Take good care. All right. You Bye-bye. too. Bye-bye.